our personality from here to here. But what the Lord wants for all of us is for us to continue to learn how to say, Lord, I'm going to commit, I'm going to roll my works onto you that you can establish my way so that my life can be truly transformed by Jesus. Not just I'm the same person, but now I get to heaven when I die. But God's like, I want to transform you that you might have the same characteristics, but all of them would be oriented for my glory. Before you were born, God knew you. He designed you with talents, abilities, and a personality, and then he used your life to shape you and give you everything you need. When you came to Christ, you brought all those things with you. Pastor Daniel is going to remind you today that you can bring those parts of who you are to Christ. He will transform you, and every aspect of who you are will be oriented to give God the glory. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Proverbs chapter 16 as he continues his message, Both Sides of the Coin. Now listen, if you're the kind of person right now where the way that you're taking you knows the wrong way, will you stop going that way? Like if you know, like, this is not good, this does not end well, then stop that. And if you can't stop it on your own, then you just got to invite other people into it should confess it to people. Say, listen, I'm doing these things. And if I keep going down this road, this lands in a bad spot. Because listen, the struggle that you're having, it gets more power when you keep it hidden in the darkness, my friends. But when you bring it into the light and you bring people into it, you bring godly people into it, start praying for you. Now, all of a sudden, this thing that's been so hard, now all of a sudden it starts to take on, you start to grow out of it. You start, I I don't have to tell them I did that again. Or they're looking out for me and they're helping me out. But the key here is that sometimes we can be so right, we're wrong. Sometimes in our minds, our way is so pure, but we forget that we don't even understand our motivation sometimes. But God understands it. God weighs the spirits. And of course, in verse three, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So verse 3 kind of brings all this together. Why? The idea of committing your works to the Lord. The Hebrew word here literally means to roll your works upon the Lord. It's almost as if you can't carry it, so you roll them onto the Lord because his shoulders are so broad that he can carry it. You commit your works to the Lord, and then it says he will establish your thoughts. And of course, out of the abundance of the heart, the way that you think, then your mouth starts speaking. And so the idea for us is that we need to honor both sides, but ultimately you and I need to learn how to surrender ourselves to the Lord. That's what it means to roll your works. You surrender yourself. Now, for many of us here, you're hearing this and you're like, well, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible calls that being born again, being born anew in the spirit because of your faith in Jesus. But guess what? Once you are born again, you have to continue to let the Lord carry and receive and carry you through this life. Because what happens is oftentimes our spirituality, our faith in Jesus can be just translational where it's like I was like this and then I get saved. I'm still just like this, but now I'm a Christian version of it, right? Like it was like I was really angry and confrontational. Now I'm a Christian and I'm so angry and confrontational, but I call myself prophetic, right? 
But it's like, no, no, you were angry and confrontational. Now you're still angry and confrontational, but now you have the Jesus veneer around it, right? So maybe you're like super judgmental, right? And then you get saved and you're like, you know, you're a Christian, but you're still super judgmental. And so really, you know, you're like, well, I, you know, I believe in the holiness of God. See, we have all these ways that we justify it, but it's really, we just translated our personality from here to here. But what the Lord wants for all of us is for us to continue to learn how to say, Lord, I'm going to commit, I'm going to roll my works onto you that you can establish my way so that my life can be truly transformed by Jesus. Not just I'm the same person, but now I get to heaven when I die. But God's like, I want to transform you that you might have the same characteristics, but all of them would be oriented for my glory. So if you're born again, don't think that, well, I already did that. No, are you doing it today? Are you denying yourself, as Jesus would say, and taking up your cross? Anyone know the next word? Daily. Boom, someone just passed out at crossroads. You got to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? Guess what? Until you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and that's rolling your works upon him. Until then, your establishing of your mind and your thoughts and your life. You might have good moments. Maybe you're like, go to a seminar or you read a book or you watch a little YouTube or a TED talk and you get inspired for a moment, but God's not interested in just some little tweaks in life. He wants true transformation in your life. And that transformation can only happen when God places his Holy Spirit within you. Not the Holy Spirit working on you from the outside, but taking up residence within you. You got to give the Lord the deed of your life. That it's his house, not your house. It's his life, not your life. And then when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then all of a sudden the ways and the purposes and the plans of God begin to well up within you. And if you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in you. I'm so stoked that you're here today. I'm so stoked that you're here to this message. Because until you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you haven't been honoring both sides of the coin. You've been focused on your responsibility and you live in your life. And that's a good thing, but that's not the whole coin. That's just one side of it. The other side is you say yes to Jesus and you allow him to do what he wants to do in your life. And it's not a one-time thing. You do it one time unto salvation, but you commit your ways to the Lord over and over and over again unto sanctification that God may grow you and change your life as you walk through this life. Now, moving on from there, look what it says in verse 4, Proverbs 16. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Wow. Now, I want to pull this out of it for you. That the creator is also judge. The creator is also judge. Now, where do I get this? Look what it says in verse 4. The Lord has made all for himself. It is a tough question. What does all mean? Oh, you guys are so good. All means all. So the Lord made all for what? For himself. So the creator has created for his own pleasure. Like any artist, the first person to enjoy something is the person who created it, right? Like when a baby is born, no matter how funky your baby looks, it's the cutest thing ever. I'll never forget this. My twin sister, Jody, she's so funny. When she had her first son, I'll never forget this. We went to the hospital. You know, because like when you're from New Jersey, when someone has a baby, you just like get a tent. You put it in the hospital room. You just stay there forever. You know? It's kind of a weird thing. But I remember I get there and I hold my little nephew. And my brother-in-law's like, so he's got a cone head. I'm like, really? 
And I'm like, probably not that bad. He's like, no, no, it's huge. You know, and so sure enough, I go to, he's like, take his hat off. I go take his hat off. And literally, it was like a legit cone. Like, it was really good. I'm like, I'm like, wow. As I said, like, you don't know what to say. And my brother-in-law goes, he's the cutest conehead I ever did see. <laughs> you know, like, that, that's how it works, you know. So a parent's the first one to be able to enjoy their child. And the same way, everything that's been made, the creator has created for himself. God didn't need to create all of us. He wanted to. And we exist for God. But notice, yet even the wicked for the day of doom. Now, that's a challenging statement, isn't it? Now, I realize that talk of God's judgment and justice isn't all that popular today, by and large, because compared to most societies in the world, we live in a more just culture. Now, I'm not saying our culture is just in any way. I realize that in the scales of injustice, there are all sorts of injustices that are going on right today in the West that needs to get fixed right now. But by and large, our culture, given the laws that we have, is more just than a lot of other cultures. And if you don't believe me, just read the news. See what's going on in the world today. So in a culture, what's amazing is if you talk about God's judgment in one of these cultures that have absolute horrific injustices. They love the God of judgment, but when you come to the West, like, no, I don't like that God would judge. Which again shows a view from a point. But what we learn here is that God created everything and God in his sovereign, perfect judgment, he also realizes that those who are evil will be judged. One scholar said it this way. Ultimately, there are no loose ends in God's world. There's no loose sense. There's nothing that's just hanging out there. Everything gets perfectly tied in by the Lord. And when you think about the wicked for the day of doom or the day of judgment or the day of destruction or the day of evil, that's what it actually means. What it reminds us is that if God is a just judge, then he will do justly. Of course, Genesis 18.25, remember when Abraham was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And here's the thing. The God of all the earth does right by judging the wicked in their wickedness. Listen, could you imagine if 40 years ago, Charles Manson was just, listen, we're loving court. Just let him go. No problem. I mean, sure, it's a problem, but it's not a problem because I'm so loving. Would everyone be, have been offended by that? Someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, mass murder, eight people. I mean, how sick is that? Just go feast, buddy. We had overpopulation. That's a crude example, isn't it? It makes you kind of offended. I would even think that way. But that's what people think that God should do. Everyone's wicked. Just let them go. It's all good. They go to heaven. They go to heaven. No. But listen, but God also wants to redeem. That's why he sent Jesus. Because all of us, if we're honest, we find these seeds and this harvest of wickedness in our hearts. And he said, look, I'm going to send my son to go die on the cross for you. That you might be transformed. That I might do a fresh work in your life. 
But you always have to remember the creator and sustainer of all things also acts as judge. And you don't want to be weighed in the balance and found wanting. Let's be honest, we all got weighed in the balance and found wanting. But if you're in Christ, Jesus tips those scales. He tips those scales for you, for me. Now from there in verse 5, it says this. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, these verses can be summed up that being pleasing brings peace. Being pleasing brings peace. Now, what's amazing here is that if you almost notice verses 5, 6, and 7, they end up forming a little self-contained unit that tells us some very important things. Now, of course, I get the being pleasing brings peace from verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him, right? But that, it doesn't just drop in there. There's a flow to what's going on. Notice in verse 5, what's not pleasing to the Lord? That doesn't bring peace. Look at verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they may join forces, none will go unpunished. Now, what we learn here is that somebody who is proud in heart is an abomination to God. Now, this is not like light words, is it? An abomination is something that is so evil and horrific that God, it actually makes God detested. It forces almost a gag reflex from God. And the idea of the proud in heart. Now, why is the proud in heart a problem? Because somebody who is proud in heart lives independent of the Lord. Who says, I don't need God. I got this. I got this. I love this. It's like, I see this all the time with my youngest Annabelle. Because she's almost four and she's crazy. You know? And she's like beautiful crazy. I I love this girl. But like stuff will go on and she'll be like, I'm going to do it myself. And so I'm at that point as a parent where I want her to do it herself. It's good for her. So often I let her do it. I just sit there and watch. But sometimes you know something not good is going to happen. So Annabelle has this thing now. I mean, because you know when kids go through like the bag lady phase? Where they don't want to put any of their toys down because then someone may come and take them. So you got to carry them all at the same time. Right? So Annabelle is upstairs. She's about to go downstairs. And she's got like 15 things and she's carrying them all. And I'm like, Annabelle, let me help you. No, I got it. I got it, she says. So I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm watching, and then she'll get like a step down. Things will start falling. She's getting frustrated. You know, you guys know what I'm, none of you ever do this kind of thing, right? It's only a kid thing, right? Everything's falling down, you get frustrated, you get frustrated, you get frustrated, and finally I'm like, you know, I'm here to help. Okay, here, take it all. You know, and she pushes it off and walks down the stairs. A lot of us, that's how we are with God. We're like, I got this, God. I got this myself. And the Lord's like watching you try to carry all this stuff. All, I'm going to put all this stuff on my shoulder. I got, I got it all. No, God, I got it. You know? And then before you know it, everything's falling down. And you're getting frustrated. And you're like, God, why aren't you helping me? And the Lord's like, I've just been waiting here, waiting for you to roll your works upon me. See, the problem with the proud of heart, of course, is that independence from the Lord is not realistic. It's not reality. 
You are completely dependent upon the Lord. You know that, right? Even if you don't believe in him, you are completely dependent on him. How do I know? I'm going to give you an example. First, you don't create oxygen or your lungs. You don't keep your heart beating. You don't. That beats on its own. Can I get a praise the Lord? How many of you would forget to have your heart beat? Am I the only one? Like all of a sudden, like you're in the middle of a meal or something. You forget you're supposed to breathe while you're inhaling that food. You know what I mean? And so it's like your heart beats irrespective of you remembering to do it. Your ability to digest food. You didn't have to create the food. You're completely dependent. You know, I was thinking, I just taught on a Wednesday night about Joshua's long day. And I was thinking about how did God pull that off? And someone says, well, God's, you know, someone, they slowed down the rotation of the earth. And someone else was saying, well, if you slow down the rotation of the earth, then the gravity would change. And I'm just like, man, can you imagine if I had to remember to keep myself grounded with gravity? You're completely dependent. Everything about your life speaks of dependence. And so when you act in a proud way as if you're independent of the Lord, you are completely going against all rational thought, which never leads you to the right spot. Not only that, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven is an abomination to him. And the very first one, verse 17 is, a proud look. So God hates, detests pride because it's impossible for a person to truly be independent of him because you're completely dependent upon him. And not only that, when you're proud in your heart, you're an abomination. And even if you join forces with other proud of heart people, guess what? You're still going to end up in a bad spot. Of course, this is a subtle allusion to the Tower of Babel. Remember where they're like, we're going to build this tower. It's going to make it all the way up to heaven because we're not going to need God. We can just get up there on our own. And then God confused their languages. So even if you have a great confederation of all sorts of other proud people, you got to realize where this lands is where it lands. But not only that, verse 6, and it tells us in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. See, this is what I love about God. This is why I am such a grateful Christian. Because even though I know what it's like to be proud of heart, and if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She knows. She sees me in all my resplendent horror. You know what I mean? So it's like, I know what it's like to be proud of heart. So do you. Right? Is anybody here saying, I've never been proud before in my life? But in mercy and in truth, it says atonement was provided for iniquity. In mercy is not getting what you deserve. When you're an abomination, you deserve judgment. But you don't get that. You get mercy instead. And in truth, because God is the truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And my friends, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the atonement. I love that word. That word atonement, as we get it in English, it's atonement. But it literally, in the Hebrew, it means the mercy seat. Which, if you remember, in the Ark of the Covenant that was in the holy place, whether it was in the tabernacle or the temple... Once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would go in and lay the blood of a killed animal in between the two angels to forgive the people of their sin. The idea was that your sin deserves death, but God's going to accept a substitute in your place, this animal. Now, it's not that God is like, you know, Peter's all mad right now and they're writing letters to Jesus and stuff or whatever. But the idea was this is meant to be a picture. Let the hearer understand. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is meant to be a picture of not an animal being a sacrifice, but the Lamb of God, Jesus, being the sacrifice for us. 
It was all meant to be a type and shadow, a foretelling long before it happened, that when it happened, everyone would be like, oh yeah, God accepts the sacrifice for iniquity. And I'm either responsible for it, or I'm going to let God's promise of Jesus, his fulfillment in Christ, take care of it. And see, we get it in English, the idea of atonement. You look at the word, at one meant. It's a perfect word for what it means. It means the bringing back together what was separated. You and God, me and God, God has made at one mint for us in Christ. But that is justification. That is what God, and again, if you have never said yes to Jesus, God wants to bring you at one mint with him again. That's what he wants to do. That's what Jesus is all about. Bringing you back to be one with him. And that's important. But then notice what happens next. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Now this speaks about what we like to call sanctification. When you get saved, you get justified. You get, you were guilty or not guilty. You were outside of God. Now you're inside God. But then every single day we live with this fear of the Lord. And that transforms our lives and decisions every single day. Of course, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's living our lives in light of our utter and complete dependence upon God at all times. And that fear of God now changes the decisions we make and why we make those decisions. It adjusts our motivations. And the idea of fearing God isn't only fearing God as judge, which we should because we do it anyway. Right? All of us fear authority. People who don't fear authority in our culture are actually called sociopaths, where they have no fear of authority at all. It's a clinical situation. But all of us, I mean, you get, a cop pulls behind you, you get fearful. Right? As I always say, you're driving down the highway, no matter what speed you're going, if a cop pulls behind you, you're 10 and 2, you hit the brake, and you're looking in the rearview mirror. That's 98% of us do that. Why? Because we fear that police officer's authority to issue you a citation. But we should also fear breaking God's heart. Speaking of a relationship. That we, God's love, we fear breaking his heart. And that changes the way that we live. And when someone who is proud receives atonement and every single day fears the Lord, you start to depart from evil. And then, verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. See how being pleasing brings peace? Because now not only is your changed life having an impact, but now God fights on your behalf. Because God cares. He doesn't let these things just go on. Jesus is real. Commit your works to the Lord. In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed us that committing our works to the Lord means taking all our life, our worries, our troubles, our cares, and rolling them on to the Lord. When you rest on His wisdom and His timing and His strength, you'll find that true and abundant life that Jesus promised, a life not free of trials, but one that is based on the rock and filled with purpose. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person 
We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about learning lessons the hard way. We can learn wisdom in two ways, by getting it right and by getting it wrong. We need to be able to learn from both situations in our lives and in the lives of others. God wants our lives to be wisdom-driven. You only get to live once. Because of that, each of your decisions holds a high impact on your life. Learn to choose wisely. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Vice Versa. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.